MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, April 16th, 2020. Today, Pelosi's scathing letter, the New York City death toll is revised past 10,000. Internal memos reveal problems within the VA. Trump delays paper stimulus checks so he can put his brand on them. A Kentucky voter ID law is passed. More problems with hydroxychloroquine. An Indiana congressman is willing to let people die for the economy. Failed leadership in South Dakota. Massive pushback on easing restrictions. Richard Burr is in more ethical trouble. Business executives tell Trump more testing is needed despite COVID testing declines. Dems introduce a plan for additional recovery assistance. Trump violates the Impoundment Control Act by defunding the World Health Organization. Cuomo issues an executive order to wear masks and much more. (gasps) I'm your host, AG, and joining me today is Amanda Reeder. Hello, everyone. Hello, I missed you. How are you? Uh, you know, I am safe and I am healthy. And that's that's what I got. It sounds like you're <laughs> counting your blessings today. I think a lot of folks are in that space. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a uh, it's been a rough couple of days, but um but we I keep telling myself this too shall pass. And and I feel similarly about the news. <laughs> <sighs> I am so mad today about the news. It's just so many bad things happening. Let's get angry together. It's going to be. But I tell you what, we do have a considerable amount of good news to balance it out at the end. And I'm happy about that. Me too. So Jordan's taking the day off today. So I hope she has a lovely day off. Of course, Friday is going to be our uh, happy hour cocktail Q&A, quarantine, whatever we call it. It's got a very long name. And uh, that's at 4 p.m. Pacific time. It's for uh, patrons. If you want to become a patron, just head to patreon.com slash the daily beans and you can sign up. It's pretty cheap. And you get ad free episodes. You get them early. Plus, you get the all the bonus content. Um, have we decided on a theme? We have not for this week. Uh, maybe we'll decide after the, you know, we'll decide later today and uh, and put it on Twitter. But no theme as of this week. Just, you know, uh, be online and make yourself a cocktail. But it's the fourth one. And I think it's a combined total of like, you know, a thousand people over the course of the last few weeks. We have a few hundred every time, which is really cool. Um yeah. yeah, and they go on for quite a while, two hours, I think, that we live stream. So it's a it's 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 pretty cool. If you've been dying to see our faces on video uh, or our pod or our pod pets, you can do that and uh, watch us get progressively more tipsy over the course of the two hours. Yes, it's super fun. I think the guitar came out for a second last time. Did it or no? I think I might have put it away. Ah, yes. Um, yeah, anything can happen. Uh, anything goes. Um, well, not not anything, you know, but most things. <laughs> It was my first time putting on mascara for almost a month when we did our dress up theme last week. Yes, and I wore lipstick for the first time since like the 2010s. So it was, well, I guess I should say the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit later in the show, I'm going to be talking to author Joseph A. Douglas about the Kentucky voter ID law, which he, he actually helped make better. He actually helped work on that law. Um. Of course, today uh, in in election news, I mean, you know, there's other stuff happening like an election. Warren uh, endorsed Biden and Sanders actually told his supporters in an interview with the Associated Press that if you oppose Biden, that you're being irresponsible. So I'm hoping that, you know, 
his his supporters come around. I know they want me to kiss ass and, you know, but I, I, I think... I'm hoping with Bernie's early endorsement, like he endorsed her before, he endorsed Biden before Warren did. I was actually, he kept his promise. I was very impressed. I was like, oh, he can't, he did it um, at least a full month earlier than he endorsed Hillary. So uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And I think that, I think he, he'll be able to help unite uh, the party as, as best he can. Uh, I personally don't know any in real life Bernie supporters that are, you know, just not going to vote or whatever. I just I feel like that's just some really out there sort of folks on the on, on Twitter, maybe. I don't know. I have I have a hard time gauging it. But all the Bernie supporters I know are like, it's not the guy, but we have to get rid of Trump. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the people who are most Bernie or bust are going to be on Twitter spotting off their opinions anyway um, to get attention. <laughs> But I, I I would say the majority of Bernie supporters are people who are swallowing their disappointment and doing what's right and yeah. being quiet about it. <laughs> yeah. But there are the assholes. Yes. I'm actually I'm actually seeing a lot of people say, hey, I was a Bernie supporter, but I'm going to fucking vote for Biden. You know, like I actually do see a lot of, uh, of folks saying that. So um, and I know the Warren supporters are going to vote for Biden. And um, I think it, I think it'll be good. We just have to vote in, in numbers too big to manipulate. And I think the Wisconsin election, especially for Jill Karofsky, the Supreme Court um, who beat the Republican Trump backed incumbent uh, by a hundred and twenty thousand vote margin. Usually the margins there, even for president, are like 20, 30,000 votes. I think I think it's shown that I think we're showing up in, in big numbers. So I'm, I'm excited about that then. I hope it continues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. As you heard from that introduction, we have a lot of news to get to. I'm probably going to go through it pretty fast and furious. This might be the good episode to start listening to me at half speed. Um, because even even though I it'll make me sound drunk, but I'll, I'll sound very knowledgeable. <laughs> so it might be a good day to do that because I'm going to fly through these headlines. When I do uh, when I do our quality assurance, I'll listen to it fast all the time. And when I listen to it on regular speed, it sounds like you're speaking in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, I know. When we do quality, when we do the quality control stuff, I do listen to it at one and a half or two times speed. And then you, you put it to regular and I'm like, I will tell you what this time you listen to me. Uh, <laughs> it gets pretty funny. And this might be the episode to do that. We just have a lot of news to pack in. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. So first, uh, Nancy Pelosi wrote one of her patented badass letters to her colleagues, this time about COVID and Trump. Mandy, you have those bullet points for us. Can you go through those? Yeah, I can. Um, it's a, it was a brutal letter, blistering. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, these were the six bullet points laid out in the letter, which was titled, Dear Colleague, We Must Insist and Act on the Truth in the Coronavirus Crisis. And she says, in order to move forward, we must first understand the truth of what has put us in this position. The truth is that Donald Trump dismantled the infrastructure handed to him, which was meant to plan for and overcome a pandemic, resulting in unnecessary deaths and economic disaster. The truth is, is that in January, Donald Trump was warned about this pandemic, ignored those warnings, took insufficient action and caused unnecessary death and disaster. The truth is that Donald Trump told his most loyal followers that the pandemic was a hoax and that it would magically disappear, thus endangering lives and paving the way for economic disaster. The truth is that we 
did not have proper testing available in March, despite Trump repeatedly claiming that we did. And even now, we do not have adequate tests, masks, PPE, and necessary equipment, which creates more death, unnecessary death and suffering. And uh, there are two more here. The truth is, because of an incompetent reaction to this health crisis, the strong economy handed to Donald Trump is now a disaster, causing the suffering of countless Americans and endangering lives. And the last one here is... The truth is, a weak person, a poor leader, takes no responsibility. A weak blames others. That last one there was... Whoa. <laughs> really drove the knife in. <laughs> the last one was just unnecessary, I think. But Read the last sentence again. The truth is, a weak person, a poor leader, takes no responsibility, and a weak person blames others. Uh. And then uh, the last line after that um, is... The truth is, from this moment on, Americans must ignore lies and start to listen to scientists and other respected professionals in order to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Um, And then she goes on to basically say that uh, the truth is, is that American people want us to work together and pass bipartisan bills to address this. Wow, she's got zero fucks left, man. Zero fucks left. (laughs) I know they haven't spoken in like six months or whatever because he because she impeached him and he's all pouty about it. Um, Wow, that's. That's a hell of a letter. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I, I, it's she's yeah, she's going for the jugular with that. <laughs> yes, agreed. All right, so here's what I have um, for the rest of this block. First of all, New York City added more than 3,700 additional people who were presumed to have died of COVID-19 to their death rolls, but never tested positive. The new figures released by the city's health department drove the number of deaths in New York City to over 10,000. And and it increased the number of deaths in the U.S. by 17 percent. And now we're over 27,000. The new figures, uh, until now, only deaths where a person had tested positive were officially counted. And today, um, you know, California, Washington, Louisiana, and Chicago uh, are also still only reporting deaths of those with a positive test. So, you know, while they're alive. Uh, and today Cuomo issued an executive order that everyone in New York City and New York has to wear cloth masks to go outside. So Yeah, he ordered an executive order to stay right whenever you leave the house. Uh, when did Newsom do that? A couple a couple days ago, right? Last week? Yeah, I'd have to double check on that. But it, I'm already doing it. I don't know if the order's in place. I know there was a bit of a grace period. If If he did, I have to check. But I don't know if we are now required to wear masks to go outdoors, like required, required. Cuomo said, you know, on his executive order that you've got a grace period and he hasn't decided if he's going to fine or cite people, give people citations for not. But he said it's going to be a possibility. He he didn't initially do that for people in parks and then started doing it because, you know, a couple of people ruined it for everybody. So I imagine if we continue to see a bunch of people out in 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 these areas without wearing a cloth mask that people will start issuing citations yeah i i mean i know that they are starting to issue citations now and issue fines around san diego county not for non-mask wearing but for being in areas you're not supposed to be and so i'm wondering if we're going to if we'll start seeing fines handed out on masks too for people not following um mask guidelines i certainly see a lot of folks not wearing them here um, I live in a pretty busy street and there are tons of people who aren't wearing them. Yeah, I was walking the dog today. I had my mask on and here comes another guy just walking down the street and he's got a mask. It's just untied and hanging around his neck like he's going to have some barbecue ribs like it's a bib. I'm like, why isn't your mask up, uh, buddy? Uh, maybe if I just started walking towards him real fast, he'd put it on real quick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
oh, here she comes. Oh. When I first started wearing the mask, I felt like it was a good, like it was a good deterrent for folks staying away from me. Like I started wearing a mask before they ordered it to be worn. And at first people were like, oh, she's sick. I'm going to stay away from her. But then once the order was issued, people like stopped caring and stopped giving me more leeway, I found. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, like before it was ordered on mass for everyone to have to do so, I, people thought I was like taking it really seriously because I must be sick or something. Hmm. Um, but I was just trying to be responsible. And now it's like I go out my neighborhood and some people are wearing them, other people aren't, but they just aren't, people aren't, don't, aren't giving a shit, not staying six feet away from each other, not wearing masks. And I'm like, take this seriously, people. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of noticed that too. I think there's just different levels of people taking it at, at different levels of serious and um, you know, thanks to us for taking it seriously. Yes, yes, and for staying home. Um, from NBC, Indiana Congressman Trey Hollingsworth said of reopening the economy and risking American lives, quote, it is policymakers' decision to put on our big boy and big girl pants and say it is the lesser of two evils. He actually said that. Wow. Uh, of course, medical experts, including Fauci, are saying that ending the social distancing guidelines too soon would lead to a second wave and put us back at square one, making everything we've done a total waste of fucking time. And South Dakota is fucked, thanks to their Republican governor, Kristi Noem, uh, one of five Republican governors who has still refused to issue stay-at-home orders. Thanks to her dumbass, South Dakota now has one of the largest coronavirus outbreaks, uh, coronavirus outbreaks in the U.S. with 300-plus cases at Smithfield Foods, the world's biggest pork processor. So... Good job, fucking lady. And business leaders are telling Trump he has to get more testing in place before he reopens the economy. These are business leaders. If Trump doesn't listen to the doctors and scientists, I am hoping he listens to the members of his business council. His own group of rich white dudes has told him that the federal government, not states, needs to dramatically ramp up testing. This happened in a conference call with about three dozen bankers, uh, financiers, food and beverage CEOs, hospitality CEOs, retail industry executives. No mention of the MyPillow guy having participated. Uh, but but all his council of three dozen rich white dudes is saying, you got to get more testing before you reopen the economy. And these are people who's who are losing a shitload of money on this. Um, and the CEOs are telling Trump to ramp up testing as they're doing this. Politico is telling us the number of tests analyzed each day by commercial labs in the U.S. plummeted by more than 30 percent over the past week. One of the reasons could be the narrow testing criteria that the CDC under Trump has put in place, which I would bet my stimulus check is Trump's way of keeping his numbers looking tremendous um, as it becomes blatantly obvious that his criminal negligence in a delayed and botched response has caused thousands of deaths. That's just my opinion. Um, and in related CEO retail news, retail spending dropped off a cliff. Um, falling a record 8.7% last month. That is the single, single biggest drop by a mile in history since we've recorded it. Uh, and that could be the reason for the nearly 500-point drop in the Dow Jones Industrial Average today, though I'm not sure how they didn't see that coming. Uh, I did, and who the fuck am I? <laughs> and uh, Kroger... This is a kind of a good story. Kroger, alongside the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, won a huge retail or food workers union, uh, are urging national and state officials to designate grocery employees as extended first responders or emergency personnel. And the goal of doing that is for grocery workers to get a higher priority for COVID-19 testing because 30 have died that we know about and accessed in, in the union and also access to safety gear like masks and gloves and other protections that they don't have access to because they aren't considered first responders or extended first responders. So that's good news to me. 
Yeah, uh, that is good news. There are a lot of companies stepping up. There are a lot of companies not stepping up. <laughs> Kudos to the ones who are. Yeah, and I, I like that, that this is a union, but it's also Kroger is with is teaming up with the union to make this happen. So go Kroger. I hope you're also paying uh, paying them hazard pay or working on getting them hazard pay. I, I've been seeing a lot of things uh, floating around on social media to the effect of like, when I'm job hunting in the future, I'm going to ask them how they handled the pandemic. And I'm going to ask them what protections they provide to their workers and what their paid sick leave was like, because this is a really like defining moment, I think. Yeah. Yeah, if if we can afford to ask those questions, we all might be so desperate for jobs. You know, this is I've I've been I've been terrified that this is going to be like a way to lower minimum wage. This is going to be a way to force us to beg for jobs, uh, shit jobs for shit pay. Uh, after this, I hope that that's not what happens. But and and again, that's just an opinion. I have got no evidence of that. But Th- that is certainly one outcome. It <laughs> could be. Yeah, I'm just really mad at rich people right now. So yep. Um. All right, we'll be right back with more news, including unethical Richard Burr, problems with the VA, Trump pushing his miracle re-election drug on veterans and service members, delays in the stimulus payments, and another clear violation of the Impoundment Control Act. So stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG with a message from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Right now, we cannot be overwhelmed. We have to work to keep our loved ones safe and protect our communities. We have to work to stay strong, to stay connected, to stay focused. We have to work to inspire, to innovate, to build new solutions. But for all of this to work, we have to work together. At ZipRecruiter, we connect employers and people every day. But today is different. We are partnering with first responders, government officials, the medical community, the innovators, and the manufacturing, transportation, and food distribution industries to make sure we are finding the right people for the right jobs right now. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. All right, everybody, welcome back. I feel like as soon as I launch into this news block, we need to just start playing uh, the William Tell Overture. (laughs) Because it's (laughs) going to be so much news. So I will just say, I'll just nod, smile, and go, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Or we could do yakety sacks because it's so fucking ridiculous that it is w- crazier, more bananas than any Benny Hill sketch you've ever seen in your life. Uh, or maybe maybe the theme to Curb Your Enthusiasm would be a good, uh, but I feel like it needs to be fast. Like, uh, you know, maybe just the instrumental parts to the end of the world as we know it and I feel fine or something. <laughs> I'll let Mackenzie choose. Um, all right, here we go. <clears throat> B block in three, two, one. No, I'm, I don't cut any of that out. I'm just going to. I was just giving myself a a racing start. And here we go. Richard Burr, the guy who dumped stocks based on classified intelligence, intelligence briefings and breaking the law while doing so, is in more hot water. In a private transaction, he sold his D.C. townhouse to lobbyists, a lobbyist who has had business before his committees at a massively inflated price. So he sold the townhouse for $900,000 to John Green, a lobbyist. Tens of thousands of dollars above the property value of $797,000, almost a little more than $100,000 over the, the market value to a lobbyist who had business in front of his committees. And this was calculated, the, the value, the actual market value was calculated by tax assessors and real estate agents. The sale was done off market, by the way. Uh, so not filed, not put out for sale to the public. Green is a longtime donor to Burr. Uh, and has co- uh, co-hosted at least one fundraiser for him. He's he's donated over $13,000 to Burr. And in 2017, when he bought this townhouse from Burr, he lobbied on behalf of a stream of clients with business before Burr's committees. If the property was purchased for more than the market value, that's considered a gift. And gifts of significant value from lobbyists are banned by Senate ethics rules. 
and those that are not have to be disclosed, and this shit was not disclosed. Gifts that are intended to influence official actions are flat-out fucking illegal. So Green lobbied to Congress that year in 2017, the year that he paid overpaid 100 grand for this townhouse that he bought from Burr. He lobbied on behalf of Merck on the Right to Try Act, which is a legislation that did pass, which allows terminally ill patients to get experimental drugs and limits the liability on the pharmaceutical company. Basically, the pharmaceutical company says, if this kills you, you can't sue us um, because it's an experimental drug. Oh, my God. So Burr Burr sits on the Senate Health Committee and uh, co-sponsored that legislation the same month that he sold the property. Now, Green also lobbied on behalf of big pharmaceuticals on a law that renewed the FDA's ability to collect fees from drug and medical device companies to fund a fast approval process. Uh, Green also lobbied for the National Rifle Association on the Hearing Protection Act that went before the Finance Committee, which Burr sits on. Green also lobbied for Google's parent company Alphabet, AT&T, Bristol-Myers Squibb, the Koch brother, uh, Northrop Grumman and the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, and Altira, a tobacco company. Green says, however, uh, in his brief statement when asked about this, he said, I have not lobbied for Burr. Um, so, sure. Oh, and the off-market real estate transaction was made through an LLC shell company called 450 New Jersey Avenue Southeast Associates, named after the address and the building that it's in. And records connect that LLC to this lobbyist green. So you decide, sketch or nah? Sketch. Yeah. <laughs> and y'all probably saw on Matto last night that the VA is fumbling their coronavirus response based on internal memos obtained by the Wall Street Journal. The official tally of cases for coronavirus in the VA topped 4,200 on Tuesday, but the internal memos call into question that figure. For example, the official count of the Cleveland VA is 37 cases, but the internal memos show nearly twice that with 66. The memos also show significant problems with PPE, despite Trump's lapdog and VA Secretary Wilkie saying all is well, everyone's got PPE. As of Tuesday, 257 patients and at least nine staff have died from COVID-19 in the VA. Speaking of the VA and our active military members, FEMA has shipped nearly 20 million pills of hydroxychloroquine uh, to a bunch of states and the, the Department of Defense and the VA, even after trials had been halted in France and Brazil because people were dying of heart problems uh, in these trials. Uh, there are zero trials showing that this drug is effective at treating COVID-19. Yeah, I saw that today. I was I was seeing that that um, yeah, a report has come out from from France after they did clinical trials of this, suggesting that it doesn't help people who have COVID at all. In fact, it's actually harmful to them. And so it's just it's 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 disgusting that that we're what using taxpayer dollars to purchase hydroxychloroquine from Trump's friends. Mm, yeah. And this, I mean, this all comes after, cool, this all comes after the VA inspector general decided the VA should use the drug to, to treat COVID-19, but VA health officials, doctors, and, you know, providers within the VA disagreed, saying we object to the IG's assertions that a 14-day supply of chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine would have any merit. Um, this is both inaccurate and irresponsible. There are active investigations into these drugs and many others, as discussed by Dr. Anthony Fauci, yet no conclusions have been made on their effectiveness. That came out last month. And further, uh, they wrote the IG's suggestion to supply the drug displayed a dangerous lack of expertise on COVID-19 and pandemic response. There, that, that response from the doctors was dated March 26th. That same day, the department signed, the Department of VA signed a $40,000 contract with McKesson Corp for hydroxychloroquine sulfate. In the description of that contract, the VA wrote COVID-19 emergency. This is plainly obvious to me 
that Trump can control the messaging coming out of the Department of Defense and VA. He can't control the messaging coming out of private hospitals in, in the states. But he can control what comes out of the DOD, the DOD and the VA. I say he's looking to make hydroxychloroquine seem like it's working. Hopefully, doctors and providers within the VA and DOD will loudly object if that's truly not the case, like they did in this IG case at the VA, though the Office of Accountability and Whistleblower at the VA has been dismantled by Trump. And as we know, Trump just fired the inspector general at the Pentagon, who was supposed to lead the task force of inspectors general overseeing the COVID response stimulus package. Yeah, don't be worried at all. (sighs) Boy. And today... In today, in the Rose Garden, as a rat scurried by behind Trump, and someone was like, oh, if Stephen Miller wants to talk, just let him come up. Um, <laughs> tr- Trump today threatened to unilaterally adjourn Congress if it doesn't approve his judicial nominees. Just after he said, I have full control over the states, which he he backed off of yesterday after saying two days ago, but he said it again today, I'm full control, I have the authority. He threatened to unilaterally adjourn Congress, which is an Article II power, but you can only do it if Congress doesn't agree on when to adjourn. And this Congress has agreed to adjourn on January 3rd, 2021. So, And it, this, this power of Article II by the president has never been used in the history of the United States of America, ever been used, never been used. Uh, But he wants to shut down Congress if they don't approve his judicial nominees Uh, after we know the Republicans completely refusing to even meet with Merrick Garland after Obama appointed him to the Supreme Court. So that's just a huge fucking whoa. That's like a whoa. You're going to shut down one of the branches of the government to stack the other branch of government. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw that just before we started recording. And and my question is. From your perspective, how possible is that? Well, people think I'm nuts about this. People are like, you're, you're, you're overreacting. <laughs> you know what? Give it to me straight. Give it to me straight. Tell me how you really feel. Well, people think I'm overreacting. But I say, first of all, I don't know if he's necessarily talking about wielding his Article II power here to adjourn Congress. I think he might be talking about emergency powers that he could wield. And there is... Um, a couple of folks who work at the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University School of Law who wrote an opinion for the for the New York Times. It is an opinion about uh, here's the lead. I'll just read you the lead. Uh, the, pa- the past few weeks have given Americans a crash course in the powers that federal, state and local governments wield during emergencies. We've seen businesses closed down, citizens quarantined and travel restricted. When President Trump declared emergencies on March 13th under both the Stafford Act and the National Emergencies Act, he boasted, I have the right to do a lot of things that people don't even know about. And the president is right. Some of the most potent emergency powers at his disposal are likely ones we can't know about because they are not contained in any publicly available laws. Instead, they are set forth in classified documents known as the Presidential Emergency Action Documents. Read the opinion if you if you need to check that out. But also, who's to say that the Office of Legal Counsel won't come out with a memo interpreting Article 2 of the Constitution as in a time of emergency uh, to have no restrictions on the president's ability to adjourn Congress in a time of crises or a time of crisis. I, I mean, think about it. The Office of Legal Counsel has a memo saying you can't indict the president. That's from way before this administration. But last year they put out a memo saying that you can't investigate the president. They also have a memo saying uh, what was the I mean, we talked about him on the show yesterday. There's been a couple of memos that have come out really just giving him, oh, that that he could f- that Atkinson wasn't supposed to hand over the whistleblower complaint to Congress. Um, there's just all these 
Office of Legal Counsel memos, do you really think that he can't get Barr to whip him up an Office of Legal Counsel memo saying that he doesn't have limitations on his Article II power to adjourn Congress? Do you honestly think he's going to follow that fucking rule? No. There's no way. There's no fucking way. And everybody thinks I'm nuts. That's fine. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. Well, coupled with the fact that earlier this week, or maybe it was just yesterday, I I don't know what time is anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is time? I, like, was it yesterday? Was it a week ago? I, I don't know. But at some point when I was in my house in the last month, he said, uh, the president has the, the powers of the, uh, what was it? The president of the United States has power, which is total. Yeah. The authority is total. That was, mo- that, that was Monday. All right. Mm-hmm. Two days ago. That was Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And he sort of walked it back yesterday saying, oh, well, I'm going to grant the governors the power to do that. So he got to maintain his power, but still grant benevolently this power that the governors already fucking have. They don't need to be granted that power. And and now today he's like, I'm going to shut down Congress if you don't appoint my judges. And, And so... That is just no one's cover. I don't know. No one's talking about it. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Hey, man, they come. They come here for the beans. They want. They want your beans. So <laughs> I wish they were happier beans. Yeah, I do too. But you know what? I I gotta be real with you. Sometimes, like, here's the thing. If we sometimes assume the worst is going to happen, we can be pleasantly surprised when there that doesn't happen. We go. <laughs> there you go. See? You know what I mean? Uh, I hope that we all get to one day where we're like, ah, whoa, AG, you were kind of, you were over, you were freaking out that day. Thank God you were wrong about that. And he didn't, he didn't adjourn Congress. Oh, ho, ho. And then we can all like laugh and go, ha, 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 and have our cocktail while still not being able to go outside. Um, <laughs> all right. If you're not mad enough, your paper checks could be delayed. If you're getting a paper stimulus check, it could be delayed because Trump is insisting his name appear on the checks. We talked about this last week. Everyone was like, he's not going to do that. He fucking did it. He was asked why today during the press briefing propaganda bullshit session with rats uh, scurrying around, he was asked uh, why he did that today. Why did you insist on putting the name on the checks? He's like, I don't know about it. I didn't ask. It wasn't my idea, but the checks won't be delayed. And won't it be great for people to get a big fat check with my name on it? I think... uh, I think this administration, first of all, doesn't understand what a big fat check looks like. <laughs> yes, $1,200 is a lot of money for a lot of people. A lot of, that's a lot of money to a lot of people. But Mnuchin said today that that should last Americans 10 weeks. The average American can live on $1,200 for 10 weeks. That's okay. three mortgage payments or three rent payments and three car payments and three health insurance payments. Uh, 1200 bucks is on there for a studio apartment in San Diego. No. And even if you don't live in San Diego, even if you're in a, a, a an area that has a lower cost of living, your rent is still six or 700 bucks. And and then you're going to add all your bills and your insurance on top of it. It's going to last you 10 weeks. And what are you going to eat? Are you going to eat? I don't fucking know. Um, but he has no fucking idea what the cost of living is because he hasn't paid his own bills since 1976. So fuck these people. I'm mad. I still can't believe Trump wants to unilaterally adjourn Congress. I'm still mad about that. What kind of banana republic, dictatory, authoritarianistic, Marie Antoinette, golden toilet, Duterte bullshit is that? <laughs> Do you, uh, you, have you seen Arrested Development? I feel like, uh, 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 I like, I'm so fucking mad. Yes, I've seen Arrested Development. Yes, I have. It reminds me of, of the mom. Uh, and she's like, how much could one banana cost? $10? <laughs> yes. 
$10? I mean, it's just, it's fucking crazy. I have seen some folks um, on just on my personal social media circles saying, hey, I'm fortunate enough to still be employed or I still have a job, but my stimulus check hit my account today. So if you are out of work, you know, let me know and I'll PayPal or you a Venmo you some money. So that's kind of that. a nice pay it forward kind of thing I've been seeing from from quite a few folks. So yeah, like people are willing to lend their stimulus because they don't quite need it yet for people who might need it now and can pay them back out of their stimulus later. I also see a lot of people who are wanting to um, who are doing okay and are donating their stimulus check to Joe Biden um, with Trump's name on it. That's so fantastic. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I, I don't get one because (laughs) uh, because of my divorce. Uh, and because the last time I filed taxes was, uh, I was not divorced. That money goes into his bank account, not mine. So I don't get any of it because, uh, he's legally not allowed to speak to me. And you know what? That's fine. That's okay. Uh, but if I was getting it, I would, I would send it to people who need it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm doing all right. Thanks to our patrons. I gotta say, and our advertisers, thanks to our patrons and our advertisers. We're doing all right. Um, now. Like I said, the Constitution allows Trump if he wants to adjourn Congress, but it's never been done. But he'll figure out a way to do it. I'm so mad. And Democratic lawmakers are alleging that Trump's move to defund the World Health Organization is illegal. And it fucking is. Because the GAO said in a memo about the withholding of the Ukraine aid last fall that that was illegal. And the same law there applies here. It's called the Empowerment Control Act. And listeners of this podcast and the Mueller She Wrote podcast know very well that when the executive branch withholds congressionally appropriated funds, they're breaking the fucking law. It's obvious Trump is trying to find a scapegoat for all the blood on his hands, and he's chosen the World Health Organization because it's a pretty easy target. They had a lot of problems. And uh, a senior Democratic aide says they're weighing their options, including asking the Government Accountability Office for another opinion about this being legal. Will it matter? Probably fucking not. Trump will probably adjourn the Congress. We can't impeach him another time between now and the election. We have to vote. You have to fucking vote. I'm preaching to the choir. Everyone who's listening to me will vote. Uh, That can. That can. Um, So, yeah, funding for the World Health Organization comes from two bags. First, dues that are assessed by the World Health Organization and appropriated annually by Congress. And voluntary contributions made by the U.S. in response to various health emergencies. Do you know of any? (laughs) <laughs> oh god so the 120 million from appropriations was already designated half of it's been sent to them it cannot be legally withheld and not only is it illegal it's fucking stupid to defund the world health organization in the middle of a global pandemic despite what you think of them and besides trump has praised china 24 separate times for their handling of the coronavirus which is his main reason for defunding the world health organization now his excuse this time is that he was just trying to be nice to china because of trade negotiations and and he keeps telling us we've collected so much money in tariffs no the american people pay those fuck off with that either that or he's expecting the world health organization to i don't know open an investigation into joe biden for him maybe that's what he wants <laughs> what does, what is it specifically that he's frustrated by? I, I haven't, I mean, obviously the advice they're coming out with goes against how he's been handling it, but has any representative from the organization directly attacked him no, or no. has he just made them a scapegoat? 
He's frustrated by the fact that he's killed thousands of people and has no one else to blame. That's what he's frustrated by. Uh, that he, old chestnut. <laughs> he's saying he's frustrated that the WHO uh, was slow to act, even though Trump knew all about this in January and could have put these measures, the you know, these social distancing measures in place weeks earlier, which would have saved thousands and thousands of lives. Uh, but he's he's saying that they're China-centric. They let China get away with murder. They let them not report their numbers correctly, et cetera, et cetera, despite having praised Xi Jinping 24 separate times on Twitter for his handling of the coronavirus in January and February. So what the fuck? He's just trying to rewrite history. It's absolutely ridiculous. And that reminds me of uh, the other day that I think you talked about it on the show yesterday, but I didn't listen. The, the Chiron writer with CNN was just like giving no fucks. <laughs> yeah, I read I read that Chiron writer's work on the show <laughs> yeah. yesterday. Trump mm-hmm. uses uh, Trump Trump uses propaganda to rewrite history. Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, yeah, and yeah, Fox News Chirons were a little different. Um, Did you see also um, uh, Kellyanne Conway who uh, who was saying, <laughs> well, surely they should have had more time to figure it out. It's COVID-19, not COVID-1. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That reminds me of a t- there was a time when I was younger. Uh, you two had just come out with the album Achtung Baby and some mansplainer at Coffee Plantation, because that's what we did. We hung out at coffee shops uh, before you were old enough to drink. But some guy at Coffee Plantation was uh, trying to I, I just came back from Germany. Right. I, and he said, oh, yeah. Oh, so, you know, then uh, it's, the album is called Achtung Baby because Achtung means eight and it's their eighth studio album. And I'm like, dude, it's their seventh album. Achtung means attention. Didn't you see how the Grinch stole Christmas? What the fuck is your problem? And uh, he he insisted I was incorrect because his dad uh, speaks German or something. I can't remember. But this is Kelly. We didn't have Google back then, though. So Kellyanne has no fucking excuse to to not understand why it's called COVID-19. I mean... Anybody who's read a single fucking article about coronavirus knows it's called COVID-19 because it was discovered in 2019. Yeah, or at least Google it if you're wondering. Hey, you know, I'm going to make a statement on TV tonight about them. Should They should have had to know by now because this is the 19th coronavirus. I'm going to look that up to verify that fact before I fucking go on television. I'm so mad today. I'm sorry. I love, I love I you all. I get you. Like, yes, Google as to why it's called COVID-19. But what I'm saying is, like, if she, as the advisor to the president of the United States, a country which is suffering more deaths in this pandemic than any other country on Earth, you would think that you would know why the fuck it was called COVID-19, considering, like, almost every article that came out about this, like, a month or two ago said that. <laughs> so Look, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line, Mandy. <laughs> you you don't work for the White House. In fact, you're fucking Canadian. And you know that COVID-19, that, not that Canadian makes a difference, but that you don't work, for the, <laughs> you, you so don't work for the White House because you aren't, you know, you, anyway. Because I read too much? Fucking A. <laughs> oh, my God. Are we going to talk about the Vince McMahon news today? Speaking of not reading and entering idiocracy territory, that's probably our most liked tweet in um, like a month. Today, I, I shared an article on the Daily Beans Twitter that said we are definitely in idiocracy territory now if we weren't already. Oh, we talked about it yesterday. I covered it yesterday. Oh, my God. That uh, Ron DeSantis declared the World Wrestling Entertainment Corporation, WWE, essential. It's fucking essential. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's Camacho. Dude, Brondo, plants crave it. You know? <laughs> Let's go get a handjob latte. We're going to do that right after this break. We have good news. Uh, actually, first we have an interview about a voter ID law. Then we have good news. You're going to want to stick around for both. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This Helping a Daily Beans is brought to you by SaneBox. If you ask me to name the single biggest workplace time waster, I don't even have to think about it. The answer is email. In fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time that managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or that they didn't need to answer. But what if you could just press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and filters out all the messages that you don't need. And you don't even have to switch email apps because it works in concert with which, whichever email client you already use. And it has some nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where you can vanquish senders that you never want to hear from again. So all those Trump, Pence emails, Sane Black Hole. And... Sane Reminders is a cool feature. It helps send email reminders to your future self. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash Daily Beans to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining us today is author of the book, Vote for Us, How to Take Back Our Elections and Change the Future of Voting. It's uh, Joshua Douglas. Josh, thanks for agreeing to speak to me today. Hey, thanks for having me. So I reached out uh, based on a Twitter thread you posted yesterday. I wanted to ask you about a voter ID law in Kentucky. It was initially vetoed by the governor, Andy Bashir, But then the Kentucky House voted to override that veto, basically putting the law in, into effect. So could, I was hoping you could go over the key provisions of this voter ID law. Sure. So the new law will be in effect for the November election, uh, not for the June primary. Uh, of course, in effect, only if a court does not strike it down or put it on hold, which is a possibility. Um, but the law would require voters to show a photo identification at the polls. Current law in Kentucky uh, requires a non-photo ID, like a credit card or a social security card. So this would require a photo ID. Uh, the kinds of photo IDs are, are somewhat broad, at least as compared to some other strict uh, states, states with stricter laws. So it would include uh, any ID issued by the federal government, by uh, Kentucky, uh, as well as any student ID, even from out of state and the ID would not have to be uh, valid currently. It's okay if the ID has already been expired. Um, now, this law had some better provisions previously. Uh, any out-of-state ID would have counted in a prior version, uh, but unfortunately, at the last minute, the legislature took that out. So now it's only uh, federal government-issued IDs, Kentucky IDs, uh, or student IDs from any state. Hmm. And in, in this Twitter thread... And folks can follow you at, uh, it's at Joshua A. Douglas. You said that this law is actually a lot better than the first legislation that was introduced. Is that right? Yeah. And, and I was fortunate to have a hand in some of the negotiations to try to make the law more reasonable. You know, I'm not someone who supports photo ID laws at all. I think they're a solution in search of a problem. They cause disenfranchisement and don't root out any voter fraud. We know from lots of studies that in-person impersonation is just uh, a farce. It just does not exist. Uh, and so this is, this really is, there's no need for this law. It's only going to make people 
uh, not be able to vote as easily. It's only going to, to lead to voter disenfranchisement. Uh, that said, I felt like I could use uh, my platform to try to make the law milder. Uh, and so we achieved some things. Uh, for example, uh, initially the law required all IDs to have an expiration date. And that was somewhat absurd because uh, student IDs in Kentucky at the, the main universities in Kentucky, their IDs don't have expiration dates. So that would have meant that student IDs would not actually count. So we got the expiration date removed entirely. Um, we also got in the bill a provision called the reasonable impediment affirmation. Basically, if someone shows up to the polls and they don't have a photo ID, as long as they have a non-photo ID, like current law, like a social security card or credit card or something else with their name, essentially, they can fill out an affidavit at the polls saying why they don't have a photo ID, and then they can vote a regular ballot. And this is better than in some other states with a similar provision, because I mean, in some other states, if a voter shows up without a photo ID, and they can fill out a reasonable impediment form, but they have to cast a provisional ballot which is set aside, and then there can be a debate as to whether it counts later on. Under the Kentucky law, voters using that impediment provision will get to vote a regular ballot. Were, were there any other things that you were able to get into that bill before I go on to the next question? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, a few things like um, the uh, the list of reasons why you don't, don't have an ID uh, on that form. Uh, I was able to get expanded somewhat, so more things would count. Now, I also had initially, or not initially, but a little bit through the legislative process, what I refer to as the catch-all, basically a blank line on the form for a voter to say, you know, the reason I don't have an ID is not one of the ones listed, but here's my reason. Uh, at the very last minute, the legislature took that out, which I think is really unfortunate. Oh. And it's particularly unfortunate because uh, it would have helped, for example, for someone to say concerns about the coronavirus uh, are not listed on the form. The other important thing about the law, which is, is not good news, uh, is that uh, absentee ballots also would require a photocopy of an ID um, or the reasonable impediment form. And again, you know, it would have been nice if the form would have a line that said, I, can't, I have a photo ID, but I don't have a, I can't get a photocopy because I'm you know, stuck at home, but I'm voting via, via absentee ballot. Um, but unfortunately, that's not part of the law either. But absentee voters uh, will also have to provide a photocopy of the ID or the reasonable impediment form. Um, I think we got a couple other small um, concessions in the bill, uh, but you know, getting the student IDs all to count because uh, there'd be no expiration date requirements and getting that, uh, that reasonable impediment form and getting voters to be able to ca cast a regular ballot uh, are, are, I think, really important changes to the law. Yeah, I was going to ask you how problems with uh, this law can become exacerbated by COVID-19. For example, my driver's license expired at the end of January, and I haven't been able to get to the DMV to get a current uh, driver's license because we can't go to the DMV. Our DMV is closed. Um, and, and if this precludes voting by mail without a photocopy of your ID, you can't go out and get a photocopy of your ID unless you have a Xerox machine or a copier printer in your house. So... What are some other ways that, I mean, obviously, if they try to force in-person voting, you can bring your ID with you. But I, I feel like that's just more things changing hands, which is, you know, can can spread the, the coronavirus. What are some other impacts that coronavirus will have uh, as it relates to this law? Well, so, you know, the, the mail-in issue is, I think, a big one. Currently, Kentucky law is one of uh, the 17 state laws that require an excuse to vote absentee. I know the Secretary of State is working on at least a plan for the June primary, and I'm hopeful for the November 
general election to let more people vote by mail and not have to have an excuse or at least say, you know, fears of going out in the public uh, are a valid excuse for voting by mail. And so we don't have a similar situation to what we saw in Wisconsin with, you know, people in hazmat suits going to exercise their fundamental right to vote. Uh, And then, of of course, if we do expand the ability for uh, vote by mail, uh, this law will be in effect for the first time in November. And that's one of the things, by the way, I pushed really hard and was unsuccessful for uh, was to get the law delayed at least after the 2020 election so that there was time for the state to implement it. You know, I don't know if it's because Mitch McConnell is on the ballot for re-election mm-hmm. or, or otherwise why they were so insistent on uh, having an effect for this November. But I think that's going to be a basis for a potential lawsuit. In any event, uh, assuming we're still increasing vote by mail, uh, you know, the, the requirement that absentee voters have to show a photocopy is really absurd. It's so absurd that my eight-year-old daughter, when I was talking about this last night with her, she actually was the one, even before I mentioned it, that said, well, what if people don't have printers at their homes? And I, actually, I, I, I posted that story on Twitter, and I guess this just shows you the wondrousness that Twitter is. A lot of people responded saying I'd made that story up, which I thought was kind of amusing, because um, I can guarantee you that even my eight-year-old understood uh, why, intuitively, this just doesn't make sense uh, in a pandemic. Uh, you know, the other thing is, it's crazy to, to be imposing ways to make it harder to vote, especially during this time period. What about, you know, if you're supposed to actually verify someone's ID based on their picture, because it's required to photograph, well, voters, many voters may be wearing masks if they show up in person to vote. And so what issues will there be with voters and actually verifying ID if a voter is wearing a mask and doesn't want to take the mask off for health and safety reasons? Uh, you know, the coronavirus enters so many different problems uh, with voting in and of itself, it's absurd to me that we're do make, taking measures to make it even harder to vote. Yeah, me too. Um, and I also wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned litigation. Do you think it's likely the courts could issue an injunction of the implementation of this law? Because, I mean, we know how the United States Supreme Court will come down on this because we know what happened in Wisconsin. But wh- how, what is the balance of the Kentucky Supreme Court like? So the Kentucky Supreme Court is is nonpartisan, uh, technically. And, you know, some states like Wisconsin also have nonpartisan Supreme Courts, but we real, we know very clearly what the partisan breakdown is uh, with uh, uh, Jill Karofsky's win uh, this, this, this past week. Uh, you have now what will be a 4-3 split on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. The Kentucky Supreme Court is not as clear in terms of its partisan makeup. Uh, and I think, by and large, it has a little bit more of an independent streak. Um, and in some of the most controversial cases involving election law, uh, they've either been unanimous or you haven't seen as much of a clear streak. That said, I think, uh, you know, the betting money would be that the court leans more conservative as a general matter. Um, but it's not as clear as, say, the Wisconsin Supreme Court. You know, that said, I think there are really good arguments for delaying this law's implementation, not only because of coronavirus, but uh, courts in other states, including uh, Wisconsin, including Pennsylvania, uh, and even including uh, a law involving South Carolina, uh, that South Carolina's voter ID law that then Judge Kavanaugh wrote when he was on the D.C. Circuit, all put their photo ID laws on hold in an election year because the states didn't have the time to properly implement it, to educate voters, to get IDs into the hands of voters. And I think you'll have those same facts, but even more starkly here in Kentucky with coronavirus. So, 
you know, it's, it's always hard to predict how litigation will go. And of course, with the courts being more on a conservative bent, uh, no one should get their hopes up. But I think there are at least good arguments for litigants to make. Yeah, you would think in a in a fairly red state like Kentucky. Uh, but I mean, we saw what happened with Andy Bashir, So the, the, the conservatives might not be so willing to just let the vote go ahead and happen and allow more people to vote. Right. Because I think they know when people can show up to vote, Democrats tend to win. And, you know, while Kentucky in the past has been pretty, you know, ruby red, it, you know, we, we now have Andy Bashir as the governor there. So, I, yeah, I can see how they might, you know, not feel as confident about their chances uh, come November. Well, and historically, um, statewide offices have have been more favorable to Democrats than federal offices. So uh, we had a Democratic secretary of state for eight years um, before the current secretary won last November. Uh, Andy Bashir's father, Steve Bashir, was governor for eight years before the state then elected uh, a Tea Party Republican, Matt Bevin. Um, and then, as you said, Andy Bashir. Uh, won a very close election uh, over Bevin as Bevin was was running for re-election. And then you've got Mitch McConnell, uh, who will have a, uh, a, I think, you know, a a more difficult re-election campaign than he's seen previously. Uh, You know, our primaries in in June now, uh, many people see Amy McGrath as the most formidable candidate. There's also a member of the state legislature out of Louisville named Charles Booker, who a lot of people are looking at, as well as a few other candidates. Uh, And there's a lot of money floating around, certainly, uh, to challenge McConnell. So, uh, you know, I'm not trying to cast political aspersions on the sponsors of this bill. They obviously had their motivations. I will say, that though, that when, you know, I asked the Secretary of State, who I've gotten to know very well, I served on his transition team in part so that I could help to influence uh, this law, and when asked point blank about, you know, is there in-person voter fraud that you think this law would prevent, he said he was not aware of any uh, of any voter fraud that this law would help to root out. Um, but he said that, you know, his constituents, he ran on photo ideas as number one campaign platform uh, and he won uh, the state. So, you know, to me, it sounds like he's trying to, to fulfill a campaign promise. Uh, and, you know, you, you know, others can question what the you know, if there are pure political motivations of him or of the legislators in the state. Yeah. Well, thank you for breaking that down and joining us today. Uh, before I let you go, can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of your book? Yeah, it's you know everywhere on the internet uh, and at your local bookstore if they're still operating remotely. Uh, the book's called Vote for Us. Uh, it tells the uh, some positive stories, some actual good news about the fight for voting rights. So it tracks everyday Americans and communities all over the country uh, that are working on positive voting rights reforms, ways to make our system more inclusive, more democratic. Uh, and more convenient to vote, ultimately leading to hopefully higher turnout and better outcomes. It's available on Amazon and all the other regular places. uh, And also you can find information uh, on my website, uh, joshuaadouglas.com. And you already mentioned my Twitter feed, at joshuaadouglas. All right. Well, thanks so much, Josh Douglas. And speaking of good news, we've got that coming up right after the break. So stick around. Hey, everybody. This last portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Raycon. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness you want what you're listening to 
to be what you're listening to, not what your roommates, neighbors, or God forbid, your kids are listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair of wireless earbuds, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet, with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, way more bass, and more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or Zooming or binging podcasts. Uh, I love my Raycon wireless earbuds. They're very comfy. I'm always misplacing earbuds, but I bought a couple of pairs of the Raycons since they're so affordable. Unlike some other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are uh, earbuds. The new earbuds by Raycon are stylish and discreet. Uh, no, the, the, <laughs> the earbuds are stylish and discreet. Space buns are, are not stylish, are very stylish, not discreet. But the uh, Raycon earbuds, no dangling wires, no stems to distract anyone during video calls. You've heard me talk about how the company was co-founded by Ray J uh, and Melissa Etheridge uh, is obsessed with Raycon. So pick up a pair, see what the hype is all about. Now the time, now is the time to get your latest and greatest from Raycon. You get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash dailybeans. That's buyraycon.com slash dailybeans for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N D-O-T. No, you don't spell out the D. Just kidding. Buyraycon.com slash Daily Beans. Day, and that's just how it's gonna be down by the river. Okay. <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you. I can keep up with the best of them. God, I love Kristen <laughs> Wiig. Um, aren't, we, aren't we all, like, you know how unhinged she is for half of that movie? That's just where we all are right now. So it's yeah. perfect. It's a- totally appropriate vibe a hundred percent she's like whatever stove (laughs) it's it's steve (laughs) kind of name is stove (laughs) totally me and now it is we can keep all that i don't give a shit it's time for the good news well we'll float on good news it's on the way All right, boy, do we need this good news today. I need this good news today. First of all, there has been such a rush to buy stamps from the post office that it, it's taken them a while. It's going to take a few days longer. And I, I like I click to go buy stamps and it's like, hey, thanks for supporting the post office because of a huge rush on stamps. It's going to take an extra day or two to get your stamps to you. And I'm like, that is fucking OK, post office. I love your face. So go and buy stamps. Don't mail them yet. Just, you know, for the future or, you know, write some cards to your friends. I wrote a bunch of postcards um, saying congratulations to uh, the Judge Jill, uh, who won in Wisconsin. You can get her you can get her office address on the Internet. I sent her a a couple of congratulatory postcards, just different ones. Uh, But, yeah, go buy stamps, support the post office. Trump's trying to shut it down and we need it open so we can vote by mail. Is there anything else we can do to support the post office? Um, Well, we can't go there because. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're all on stay-at-home orders. So I think buying stamps online is like the best thing you can do right now. Yep. And maybe just if you're sending packages to make sure you send them post, you send them through the Postal Service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's keep, that, let's keep that shit alive. Also, it's not a bailout of the post office. It's just properly funding it. <laughs> well, it hasn't been funded since the 80s or something like that. They, they fund themselves. Um, oh really yeah yeah they, they fund themselves through their services but they they need uh they were going to be insolvent in 2021 but coronavirus put that up pushed that up to like next week so we you know they need some help so buy some stamps 
yeah, do that. And there's some really great Gwen Eiffel stamps. She's one of my heroes. So those, those, uh, an incredible um, and sadly uh, passed away um, reporter for PBS, uh, Gwen Eiffel, just absolutely an incredible reporter. Um, they have stamps for her. They have Muppets commemorative stamps. Oh, Jim Henson. Fuck yeah. So do that. Muppets and Gwen Eiffel, two of my heroes. And uh, let's see. Oh, so the Supreme Court has scheduled now um, the Mazars, Trump versus Mazars, Trump you know versus Deutsche Bank or the, the House versus and the Vance, the Cy Vance Trump Mazars case. All these tax return cases for Trump that are you know supposed to be heard in, in the Supreme Court. Uh, they were supposed to be heard on March 31st. That got postponed due to COVID, but they're rescheduling it for May 12th. And I think they're doing it video conferencing and it's going to be recorded. Uh, so, hey, cool. Um, a lot of people, you know, I put I put I put a tweet out like you can run, but you can't hide. Right. And I got so many responses like you really think the Supreme Court is going to come down against Trump. I still do. I still do. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm nuts, but I still do think that these laws are so straightforward that they'll have to find in favor of House. Yeah. I'm probably wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the National Institute of Health has developed a vaccine that is now in the human trials and is being worked on at Emory University. They're in stage one trial that tests the vaccine's safety. After that comes phase two, uh, which is the efficacy tests. That's where you study how effective it is at, you know, preventing people from getting uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, the, the virus that causes COVID-19, what you do is you give like, uh, in the safety trials, they test like 20, 40, 60 people. In phase two, they get like 500 people and they give a bunch of people a placebo and they give a bunch of people not a placebo. And the doctor who is administering the vaccines doesn't know whether he's giving the, or she is giving the placebo or not. That's called a double blind study so that they can't be like, hmm, good luck with this vaccine. You know, they can't like influence how the person feels. Um, double blind study, uh, way more, uh, way more valid. And then they just, they see if the, the people who took the placebo got sick less often or more often or the same, basically, just to see how effective it is. There's actually over 70 vaccines in the works right now. Three are already in human trials. That is the fastest ever that like a couple of doctors at Emory University are like, this is so fast. Um, but it's still it's still 12 to 18 months away. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know it's still a long time away, but looking into what's happening with vaccines and, and, and being hopeful about that is, is really helpful, especially someone who is high risk for, for this being, you know, lethal. I mean, everyone, it can be lethal to anyone regardless of age or, or preexisting condition, obviously we know that, but um, yeah, definitely more susceptible for me because of my extensive lung damage. And so it is amazing. I mean, it is amazing that we have, that this has been less than six months and we already have vaccines and human trials. I mean, certainly not in my lifetime have we all the medical community around the world come together to work on a problem like this with such speed verve yeah it's really amazing yeah um yeah it's 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 fucking rad now to see how long it takes the world to get it <laughs> yeah well that's the other thing that the doctor brought up from uh from do, who's working on the trials at emory university he says you don't just once it's past phase one and phase two and you found out it works and you found out it's got good efficacy it's got it has good results it helps prevent uh coronavirus then you have to develop billions of doses and inoculate the globe so <laughs> it's not exactly uh, as easy as it seems that's another six months of you know that's why it takes 
12 to 18 months is because you have to put that that time in there to to give everybody the friggin vaccine. And then, you know, and then you still have to see what happens. Um, so because we don't know if this thing is going to be seasonal. We don't know if it's going to mutate, although it seems pretty stable right now. But there's also studies coming out saying that one in three people aren't even developing antibodies and that people who are the most contagious are the non the asymptomatic carriers and the asymptomatic carriers don't develop antibodies to to as much as the older folks who actually see symptoms so we are still a very long way from understanding any of this and we will likely according to a harvard study that came out yesterday i talked about going to be in some sort of quarantine or intermittent social distancing until 2022 we are and um, I think that's been part of what I've been struggling with is like is really understanding how long I mean not not how long just because it's even beyond that I'm sure things will have changed forever but yeah settling at first it was like this is just for a few weeks and then this is just for a few months and then realizing that like it could be um, somewhat abnormal or we'll have some form of social and physical distancing for quite a while um, so yeah, uh, a radical acceptance is a theory that's helped me with that to be like, I cannot change this. This is what's happening. But it's definitely really it's it's longer than than everybody thought a few weeks ago. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, it, it 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 could look like this too. And McNeil went over this months, like well, it seems like decades ago, last month on Maddo, when he said, "Look, here's how it works: it, it, you flatten the curve, and then everybody slowly goes out again, and then the curve goes up, and everyone goes in, and you flatten the curve, and you just keep that curve sort of at bay by by." doing that sort of intermittent staggered maybe by certain cities. Uh, you know, you could have some sort of a plan that way uh, of where, you know, okay, uh, this week San Diego is out and about and New York is at home. And then, you know, and you ban travel between states based on who's trying to flatten the curve at that specific time. And you just keep that shit up for fucking 18 months until everyone's got a vaccine that works. And even then you want to be very cautious because we still don't know uh, you know, because we're coming out with these vaccines so quickly, yes, they will fully test them, but we still don't know the response to how people are going to deal with the antibodies and, and how different age groups are going to do it and different genders, etc. So I shouldn't say genders, sexes. What's the correct? Um, yeah, different different sexes and genders. Yeah. Um, yeah. Different biological sexes, right, how they respond to it, I should say. Um, and, and then, of course, different races, too. We know that African-Americans are dying at a clip six, six times, times faster, faster than, than anybody, anybody else of this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I think, think that that's, that's I, don't I don't think that that's because they're more susceptible to it just because they're African-Americans. But, you know, in a roundabout way, yes, because they, you know, they have been systematically left behind out of the system without access to health care for decades. And so, you know, it's it's. There's all sorts of different factors. We have to be very careful. One more quick story I just want to get in before we get to the good news from, from our listeners. And then I want to hear about the story that you were about to talk about. But a Travis County judge in Travis County is in Texas has decided that they are going to allow this county to vote by mail because right as an absentee. Because right now, the only reason you could vote absentee is if you're in, in jail yet but not convicted or if you're out of the country like in the military or you're completely disabled or over 65. And so they're adding now an, uh, um, uh, a provision that says you don't want to risk your life from COVID-19. So that's good high five, Travis County. This will probably be appealed, but hopefully not in time for the election. Yeah, I was uh, one of our listeners sent that to us as well, um, a tweet from the Texas Civil Rights Project. So yeah, that's that's fucking awesome. Hopefully it doesn't get repealed before 
when when is their oh their primary is in July and and their uh, obviously November is the election I think yeah yeah for a second there, I was like for the primary and then I was like wait they've already chosen um yeah that's that's fucking rad I I love that oh no they did have their they did have their primary I'm sorry You're did right. they oh that's right yeah um hopefully as many people as possible are able to vote by mail in November um and that we keep the post office uh economically healthy enough to help us with that um yeah what i was going to say was uh when you were referencing the fact that african americans are being impacted at a higher rate i was i was watching a little bit about that and something like almost 70 percent of the of the deaths in louisiana and and a similar i think percentage in chicago um the deaths are were all african americans and um and I think this is something that like Oprah has been talking about too in her like new COVID series that she's been producing. Um, how you know it's like the areas in which they live in have higher rates of air pollution or the types of jobs they work at um, are more hazardous or what have you. Um, which is all like the way that poverty has intersected with this pandemic and the way that people's um, lifestyles or um, lack of access to the things that people of a higher economic class are are privy to has like really made it hit so much harder for a lot of these communities. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it was really shocking to me when I saw that. I was like, se- whereas like 70% of the deaths in, in Chicago, I think were African-Americans. Meanwhile, they're only 30% of the population there. Yep. Uh, yeah, I covered this all on, on Sunday's show. Yeah, I did a whole big piece on it. Because, um, uh, you know, weeks ago, I tweeted there was a Harvard doctor who was coming out with a point system uh, on how to decide who got a ventilator and who didn't. They were like, we're going to assign points based on how many viable, happy, healthy years of life you have left. And I said, whoa, that is really going to disenfranchise people of color, people who have uh, people of low socioeconomic means, people who don't have access to health care, people who have been racially discriminated against medically by doctors, uh, people who have been discriminated against for jobs, who don't have health care because health care is tied to employment, people who have can't get a job because they went to prison unfairly because, you know, the, you know, people who carry weed around, if you're black, you're going to go to jail. If you're white, you're not. That kind of shit. All of it, all that intersection uh, definitely uh, negatively impacts that. And so it's just another reason we have to be, you know, exceedingly careful as to when we all just go back out into the world again. And you have to think about the more vulnerable communities, not just yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen to your Sunday show. Um, Usually I'm pretty diligent about listening, but the last few days I have not. So I will I will catch up on that segment. Would you like a little bit of good news from our listeners? Yes, please. We have a few few minutes left. So let's get let's hear those. All right. uh, This is from Jesse McKenna. Jesse says, my wife and I have manufactured and donated 100 3D printed face shields to our local hospital. So love that. We get we get emails every day from listeners saying they're making face masks. And I love that. Keep going. Um, this is from Anonymous. Anonymous says, I was wrestling with being the person who recommends a TV show from last summer is good news. But then I heard about Jordan's comment about alcohol bottles not refilling themselves and I caved. For those who haven't seen it, <laughs> for your quarantine uh, viewing pleasure, Good Omens, a British yes. comedic drama about an angel and a demon trying to prevent Armageddon. It's on Amazon Prime or uh, possibly your local library when libraries are a thing again. It features for AG John Hamm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've seen it. I've watched it and I've watched it twice and I fucking love it. You don't have to sell me on Good Omens. It's so good. Everybody watch it. Totally agree. And then it says for Jordan, alcohol bottles refilling themselves. And for anyone who likes this sort of thing, a love story between two mostly male presenting immortal supernatural entities played to perfection by David Tennant and Michael Sheen. And I include this. Because A, the person took the time to email this to us, and B, it's a really great show. So <laughs> <laughs> they're not paying us. 
But uh, yeah, I agree with you, anonymous listener. The show is great and it's amazing. From Cindy, Cindy says more good news from the Jacinda just blah, 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 excuse me the Jacinda Ardern fan club. Uh, she's taken a pay cut in the face of all of the job losses and economic uh, difficulty. How much do we love her? And love her. she and her entire cabinet have taken a twenty percent pay cut. That, yeah, I saw that. I, well, yeah, I saw that story. Yeah, that's so cool. That's fucking New Zealand. They're always showing everyone up. It pisses me off. Even Canadians. Even Canadians, they're showing up. It's so rude. Yeah, showing us up isn't hard anymore. Yeah, I mean, they're they're even more progressive than Canada is, so they're showing us up. This is a a tweet one of our listeners shared with us from the city of Miami. And the city of Miami now has mobile testing units. So you can request an appointment from the city of Miami Fire Department if you or someone you know is experiencing COVID symptoms and is homebound. So you can, the service is now open to city of Miami residents over the age of 18. And we need so much more of this so that we can get more accurate numbers and testing and we can have more accurate tracking of those folks who might have it. Because a lot of folks are not going to go to the hospital, you know, mm-hmm. or they're not going to go until they absolutely have to. and Or, or perhaps they'll, you know, um, fight it and get better at home or they'll pass away at home. Um, so this is awesome. And it just, more information is better uh, knowledge is power. Um, couple super quick confessions from people. This is from anonymous. Uh, and he said, or she said rather, or they, who knows? Confession, uh, quarantine life. My husband walked into my office this morning, looked at me and said, I ate a bagel. Oh, so does my dog. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I ate a bagel. No, stop it. Um, I ate a bagel. We stared at each other for an uncomfortable amount of time. Great, I said. I was on a conference call on speaker. (laughs) Um, From Rob. Yeah, this is from Robin. Uh, I've discovered that my cat, who is named Alexander Hamilton, is a closet Whitney Houston fan who just wants to dance with somebody, which is me. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So Robin's been dancing with his cat. Um, And this is a a nice one from Megan. Megan says, "Um, this is the first time in seven plus years that I haven't been working 40 to 60 hour work weeks. So actually, I'm kind of living my daydream right now. I'm cooking, I'm gardening, I'm organizing, I'm spending time with my husband, I'm snuggling my cat babies, and I kind of feel like I'm thriving rather than coping. So that's my good news. Mm, Awesome. Yeah, I know. Um, And that's all the ones we have for today. Oh, well, thank you, everyone, for sending those in. And thanks, Mandy, for reading them and joining me today. I really appreciate it. It was good to hear your voice again. Sorry, I was so mad. Um, Dude, I, I, you know what? I, it is so fucking important to get angry. Like I love putting together the good news and I, and I, and I love reading it and also like meditating and yoga and journaling helps in all of this. Like you have to balance out your brain chemistry, but it's okay to get pissed. It's, it is a shit show. And I think that your anger is, is like giving validity to how a lot of people feel. This is something I get a lot in emails when people are like, you know, sending us in their good news or their or their corrections or confessions or whatever is like they always start off with the like, thank you so much, AG. So you are you are you're just expressing how a lot of people are feeling. And I think that's super important. Well, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I needed to get some stuff off my chest anyway. So thank you all for listening. And um, and thanks for sending in your good news. Please continue to do so. And hopefully we'll see you Friday at the cocktail hour. Uh, we'll answer your questions. Try to keep it non-political so we can have some happy time and share some good news stories and some uplifting uh, things and uh, not talk about the complete unraveling of our rule of law. Um, 
until then, until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health. I'm going to do that, too, and take care of the planet. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.